Today's scripture reading will be from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. You can follow along on page 1320 in your pew Bible if you'd like. Please rise as you're able for the reading of the gospel. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we know not where they put him. Peter and the other disciples left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciples ran faster than Peter and was, and saw, was, excuse me, and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other cloth, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one whom arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand that the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary Magdalene stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down, looking into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have yet not gone to the Father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I am going up to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now ah, you did that very well. Excellent. All right. My mic is on now, Colin. All right, cool. So I wanted to tell you just very quickly about our missionaries that are serving around the world. This is an important part of our Easter offering today. We're going to put their pictures up on the screen uh, for most of them. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about them individually. I just want you to be aware of who they are. Here are the pictures here. And then outside in our hallway, if you leave the foyer to the left and walk down the little hallway, we have new pictures of all of them up on the wall. So you can see who they are, where they're serving, and how they're carrying out the work on behalf of the life of this church and other Free Methodist churches. So we're very excited about our work of continuing to support these people. And so this morning as we receive the offering during that communion time, if you want to make a gift to our global missions partners, you can do that online in our app by just designating global missions, or if you bring an offering forward, you can put it in these little boxes. And that's how we support our missionaries throughout the year. Our congregation has pledged over this year to, uh, to raise $50,000 to support those in global mission. And we want you to be able to be a part of that as well. Now, one of the questions I have for you this morning that I want you to actually talk about, 
yes, you're going to talk with each other today. All right, and here it is. What's your favorite memory of Easter? Favorite memory of Easter. Ready? Go. All right, allow me to pull you back together. Our memories of, of Easter are rich. Oftentimes, it's a special time to gather with family, of course, for Easter brunch, lunch, dinner, whatever meal you might be having later today, or maybe you've traveled somewhere as a part of spring break to be with other parts of your family during this season that surrounds Easter. Often it has to do with relationships and connection and the way we sense being a part of a community. And Easter, for all of us, in all of those ways, is a life-giving expression. These are things that feed us, they nurture us, they give us a sense of connection and identity as a part of God's people. And so I was working on this sermon, uh, and I started working on it a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, instead of writing the sermon for Easter, why don't I ask artificial intelligence to write the sermon for me? And so I went over uh, to the uh, Microsoft AI and asked them to write my Easter sermon for me. And the question I put to the AI was this. And for those of you of my generation, you know exactly what that is, right? Okay. If you don't, that's the HAL 9000. And he does not open the pod bay doors. Now, the question I put to the Microsoft being AI, artificial intelligence, was this one. How do I find life? How do I find life? Here's the response. Finding meaning and purpose in life can be a lifelong journey. There are many ways to find meaning and purpose in life. Here are some tips to help you find your passion and purpose in life. There's five of them. You ready? Identify the things you care about and what matters most to you. That was number one. Number two, reflect on your strengths, talents, and achievements. Number three, Try new things and explore your interests. Number four, practice journaling and embrace a mindfulness practice. And number five, surround yourself with positive people and start conversations with new people. I hope this helps you find what you're looking for. Let me know if you have any other questions. <laughs> Amen. We'll see you next Sunday. Longer <laughs> Told, they told me it had to be longer than that. Longer than that. Hmm. 
How do I find life? That's a question I think a lot of people are asking right now. As we've emerged or are emerging from COVID, we live in this day of such polarized politics, whether we want to talk about the opioid epidemic or mental health or whatever, people are trying to answer that question. People are trying to answer the question, how do I find life? Now, most have figured out that it doesn't come from your job. Because as we've seen over the last few years, the great resignation has taken place where people have recognized that their work is not the thing that defines their identity. And so people are longing to figure out a new way to define themselves. Others have figured out that living without community is not a solution. And so the number of children who are signed up for sports and athletics is off the chart as a percentage of the population of young people. In other words, there are more children by percentage playing soccer, baseball, any of these other activities than there has been in decades in the United States. Most have figured out that significance is more important than success. And what this has meant, and this is especially important for us across the street from Seattle Pacific University, is that many young people are avoiding higher education because of its cost, because of the realization that it may not necessarily be something they need or want, not really understanding quite yet how that might fit into the bigger picture of the narrative of their life. So what do we say as Christians about the question I asked, the Microsoft being AI, how do I find life? Well, here are some clues. The first for me is that life, life hides in death. Life hides in death. Early that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, a, a, a grave, a, a place where people who have died are placed. And it's uh, a, a story in which we have to kind of ground ourselves in the emotions she probably felt at that moment. And we'll kind of revisit the grief that she was carrying as she came. One of the very first years I was a senior pastor in Ventura County, California, we decided as a group of clergy in the community that we'd have an Easter sunrise service, and we decided that it would take place in a cemetery near us. And so we all gathered in the cemetery. We set up a lot of chairs. There was a platform, and all the pastors in the community got to do a little different part of the service. And, you know, it was big rolling hills, and they had sheep grazing on the grass. I mean, we spared no expense for this thing. And for whatever reason, the organizers, and I wasn't part of the organizing group, they had decided we needed to end that sunrise service with singing together as a congregation by candlelight. So everyone was outside and had these little candles that we usually hand out at Christmas Eve for that candlelight service, so they're holding these candles. And as they're holding the candles, they're singing the song that we had printed on a a piece of paper for people, whatever we were going to sing. I don't remember what it was. So you know how this is going to go, right? So we're all standing up in front, looking very dutiful and pious while the service is going on. And we get to the second verse of the hymn, and this person in the very front lights her bulletin on fire with the candle. There's screaming, there's yelling, there's commotion, throwing the thing in the air, falling on the ground, stomping on it. We were alive in that moment in time, in that cemetery. Life hides out in death. That's the story of our gospel. Mary Magdalene, Magdalene, along with Peter and this unnamed disciple that we probably think is John, expected to find a body 
in that tomb. And instead they found that it was empty. You see, our God turns this whole message about death and life on, on, on end. And that the, the story of the resurrection is one that oftentimes we think about looking for life in the place where things are already living. But in God's story, we find life in the places where there's things not living well, people struggling, people in pain, people in grief, people in hardship. This is where the, the gospel of Jesus connects with us and that we find hope for life. God's life always hides out in death. It's always hiding out in the pain and the struggle of life. Sometimes it pops out into the open, the clouds clear, and it's wonderful, like today. But for the most part, we go through 364 other days when we're carrying some of the deep burdens of our life. You see, Mary Magdalene comes looking for the body of Jesus, and that's where life is found. Just at the moment where she's carrying her heaviest grief. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I think the Apostle knew something about this notion of life hiding out in the midst of death. And so when we're at our darkest, our most difficult, our most troublesome hour, this is where the resurrected Jesus meets us. But he meets us there. But to encounter him, to know him, to engage him, that's a different question. Jesus always shows up. The question is whether or not we're ready to engage with him when he does. That's another truth for me that's in the story about how we find life, is that life in Jesus, it prompts devotion. It prompts devotion. Now, that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She saw that it had been opened, but didn't know what had happened. And so she immediately returned to the disciples and told them that the stone was rolled away, that somebody had been in the tomb or had violated the tomb in some way. And so Peter and this other disciple, who we think is John, ran back to the tomb to see what had gone on. And in the story that Dorel read a minute ago out of the Gospel of John, we read about how both of them ended up going into the tomb. They saw that Jesus' body wasn't there. They saw that the grave cloths were all folded up and neatly laid there. If it was a grave robber, it would have been like this, you can imagine, it would have just been this chaotic scene in there where a body would have been stolen. That's not the case here. Everything is organized. And the response of Peter and John to that great incident, that great moment when Jesus is raised, is they go home and watch the masters and take a nap. The text literally says they left and they went home. They left and they went home. It's almost like they saw it but couldn't process what happened or it didn't make any sense to them. And that's because life in Jesus prompts devotion. And in some ways, all of us are on that spectrum of going from point A to point B. If point B is devotion, then what is point A? Where do we start from? For some reason, what's become all too common for Christians is that they've conveniently become ideologues. People who enjoy the notion of Jesus, people who value the moral or ethic of Jesus, 
but are not yet ready to attach themselves to him, to hold him, to practice an expression of devotion. In some ways, it's easier to be a believer in what Jesus said and taught than it is to be a believer in Jesus himself. And this is the distinction in this story. Peter and John come, they see the empty tomb. They're in alignment with Jesus, in other words, agreement. But there's nothing in them that sparks step two. They just go home. But Mary stays. And as Mary stays, something remarkable happens to her. She has a transformational experience. And we have to see and pay attention to this. Life in Jesus prompts devotion. So let me ask a series of rhetorical questions you don't have to answer. As followers of Jesus, do we believe in Easter or do we believe in Jesus? I'm going to ask a harder question. Do we believe in the Bible or do we believe in Jesus? An even harder question. Do we believe in our religion? Or do we believe in Jesus? Now, see, correct answer. If we believe in Jesus, then that is the lens through which we understand Easter. If we believe in Jesus, that's the lens through which we understand the Bible. If we believe in Jesus, that's the lens through which we understand religion. Religion, Bible, Easter, those aren't bad things. But if those things exist without devotion to Jesus, they easily become places where we just find ideological agreement. We become Christian blockheads. Instead of being people whose heart, as John Wesley said, strangely warmed. This is Mary Magdalene. So she turns and she sees Jesus and she doesn't know it's him, and there's just a great beauty in this story that begins to happen when she turns and sees Jesus living among the dead. She doesn't recognize him. Again, she's on that spectrum of A to B. A being, I agree with Jesus. B, I'm fully devoted to him. She's somewhere in that spectrum, on her way to devotion. Jesus appears. She doesn't recognize him. He says her name, Mary, and then, all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb goes off. She says, Rabboni, and she recognizes him. That's the word for rabbi or teacher. She immediately begins to understand who he is and what he's come to do, and she clung to him. She clung to him. Do you see the transition? It moves from being an idea to being a real person right in front of me, and she clings to him. She holds him. That's an expression of the heart. That's an expression of emotion. That places Jesus at the very center of our experience, not the stuff around Jesus, but Jesus at the very center. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we've testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, 
then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. You know, here's the problem when I was reflecting about Microsoft's answer to how do I find life. I'm going to read it again, and I'm just going to place some emphasis on a particular pronoun you might hear a few times. Remember five things Microsoft said I needed to do to find life? Identify the things you care about and what matters most to you. Reflect on your strengths, talents, and achievements. Try new things and explore your interests. Practice journaling and embrace a mindfulness practice. Surround yourself with positive people and start conversations with new people. Do you notice a theme in all five things? Where do they point? To myself, to me. And what we find in this first Easter story is people's lives being dramatically changed away from themselves and to Jesus. That a life of fulfillment is not found by self-actualization. The life of fulfillment, the way God has called us to enjoy it and rejoice in it, is by our devotion to Jesus himself, our clinging to the very presence of Jesus. Friends, we are not engaged in a self-help movement. We're engaged in a love people, connect to Jesus, and serve the world movement. Cling to him. If it feels emotional, (laughs) good. It should be. It should be. The last thing I'd share with you this morning, very simply, is this. Is life in the Spirit makes us witnesses. One of my favorite parts of this whole story, and to be honest, in John's Gospel and others, is I love how this story is so liberating for women. Now, in the ancient world, women were not allowed to give legal testimony in a trial. Women were never sent on a mission or given a representative task. That was not the role that they had in the ancient world. It was a patriarchal world with a capital P. And here, in this story, who is the first person to testify about the resurrection of Jesus? Mary Magdalene. And in this story, she does it twice. The first time is when she sees that the tomb is empty and goes and tells the disciples, and Peter and the other disciple run back to the tomb. And then after she's seen Jesus appear, and she's holding on to him in the garden, then what happens? Jesus sends her to go back and tell the disciples what has gone on. Mary Magdalene becomes literally the first apostle and evangelist of the church. She's the first one to tell the story of Jesus' resurrection. So at the end of the story, Jesus gives her clear instructions, and that's exactly what she does. And so the disciples respond by doing nothing. Remember, Peter and John just went home? Well, we assume that she went back to find the disciples in Jerusalem, told them what had happened, and they do nothing. If you keep reading John's gospel in the very next verse, it tells you what all the disciples were doing. They were hanging out in a room by themselves, fearful for their lives, thinking that someone was going to come arrest them like Jesus had been arrested three days before. They're hiding out in secret. 
And that's exactly what they did. And so that very first Easter night, Jesus came and appeared to them in that room. They were so afraid to leave the room, Jesus literally had to come to them. Do you see how this story begins to shift? Devotion causes us to be witnesses. People that are not devoted, who are just ideologues, may hang out in secret. May not tell anyone else. May not bear the fruit of Jesus in their life. If somebody wants to get in an argument with them, they're happy to do so. But when it comes to actually living the very life of Jesus out in front of other people, oftentimes they do that in hiding. Mm. The message here is clear. Don't cling to me. Instead, go tell my disciples. You know, in the city of Seattle, sometimes we're really concerned about faith because in the city of Seattle, the Christian community by percentages is very small. And so I've owned, this is my first Easter here. And um, what I found is folks in Seattle talk about the uniqueness of Seattle. They talk about the uniqueness of the Pacific Northwest. They talk about how this community is different and it's much more alienated to issues of Christianity and spirituality. Friends, they told me the same thing in San Diego. They told me the same thing in Orange County. They told me the same thing in Ventura County. So on the one hand, we have to recognize that who we are is unique. We are the Pacific Northwest. It's who we are. It's part of our culture and identity. But to somehow think that this city is harder to proclaim a gospel in, I hope you hear what you're saying. Are you possibly telling God that something can't be done? No. This resurrected Jesus brings life and hope and grace into the world. And if he is not raised, then we should sell the building. But if he is raised, oh my, we have wonderful work to do. Wonderful work to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in word and in deed by our lives of devotion, justice, compassion, and worship. This is our work to do. And so important to do it. um, Microsoft doesn't write a very good sermon yet. my friends, the world today needs us to be the sermon. They need us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and how we live in every way. The same Simon in the story, Simon Peter, who comes to the tomb and goes home, is the same one who said in John chapter 6, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And brothers and sisters, on this Easter Sunday, I would submit to you that in Jesus there is life. There is a kind of life that prompts deep devotion from us. That doesn't make us ideologues, but makes us lovers of Jesus and lovers of the people Jesus loved. And so if our vision as a church is to love God and love people, connect to Jesus and serve the world, 
This is where it starts. And so there are some of you I know gather here today. Uh, this is, you know, one of the times you've come with family or friends. Maybe it's time you come to church regularly throughout the year. I'm so glad you're here. But I think it's time for each and every one of us to find our pathway to life. And so if today's a day in which your life you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to be devoted to you. I don't, I don't want to just believe in stuff about you. I want to be devoted to you. Then I invite you just to pause during this time of prayer and ask him to come into your life to forgive, to redeem, and to give you wholeness. Because, my friends, this isn't about you or me. It's about Jesus. Thank you.